0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: It's time to feed the pigs. This is one of my favorite times of the day because it's... Well, it, it makes me happy to see how little feet I actually have to get to. Gotta get them off my back. We have saved so much money on our feed bill when it comes to pigs over the last year or two now and the reason why is because we raise a grazing pig out on pasture. So are you thinking about getting maybe IPPs, Idaho Pastured Pigs or Cooney Coonies? If so you're going to love this episode today. We interviewed White Bison Farm all about pastured pigs, IPPs in particular but also Cooney Coonies. And we talked about how to save money in their feed. We talk about, this is something they do that's just incredible, you're gonna be fascinated. How much money they save on their feed bill because they use fodder. If you like raising pigs, but you don't like spending a fortune on feed, (laughs) welcome to the club sit down enjoy this interview with white bison farm and pay attention for the savings you're going to get from fodder from pasturing and also pay attention to what you need to consider when it comes to minerals with your pigs out on pasture i know you're going to love this interview by the way if you're a homesteady pioneer just click right there that'll take you instantly to the extended version of this interview homesteady pioneers get the hour plus version of all our podcasts It's a little bit more in depth for the serious homesteaders but for the rest of you enjoy my discussion with jody and dave from white bison farm all about raising healthy pigs on pasture and how to save money on feed doing it
2: we started with cooney coonies Which then led into the Idaho pasture pigs.
1: Now we have cooney coonies. We love our cooney coonies, but we didn't start with cooney coonies. When we started, we were like, you know, we want to get some pork. We got a big, you know, big pink cross. What made you guys start with cooney cooney pigs? That's so interesting to me.
3: I grew up with my grandma having pigs that tore up the ground. They were outside all the time, but everything was completely tore up and a disaster. And I didn't want our place looking like that. I wanted green pastures. So he found the
1: coonies. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense, right? You have horses. You got to have good quality pasture. Uh, And then bison too. Obviously, you want to have good pastures and you don't want to have craters that your animals are going to break your legs. And uh, you got coonies. Did you want to have pigs just to have a couple hobby pigs? Were you looking for pork? What was the first reason you decided to bring pigs onto the farm?
2: I just like pigs and I found them and they showed them to Jody and she said, when are we getting them? <laughs> and I said, oh, well, we're not getting them yet. But she's like, well, I know you were probably getting pigs. <laughs> so yeah. I ordered my pigs. <laughs> and of course we got the one and Jody's like, when's the next one coming? When's the next one coming? So well, she really liked pigs. She just didn't know it.
3: <laughs> you had this one little pig in this huge pasture, all by itself. It was lonely. <laughs> <sighs>
1: so you you got a bunch of coonies, and uh, were they were they just pets? Did you wind up using them for meat at all? Were you just selling live piglets? What was the? Uh, how did it develop into? Well, we a farm? never
2: had a bunch. Of, we never had a bunch of coonies. We only ever had maybe six or so, something like that, you know, enough to do a couple breeding pairs, whatnot. So we were selling them all live. We probably had coonies for five years before we ever ate one. We just couldn't produce them fast enough. We were one of the first breeders of of coonie coonies. So the circle was pretty small and we knew Shelly Ferris. So as I would talk to her about coonies, she was telling me what she was doing. (music) Shelly Ferris was doing the Idaho Pasture Pig. Shelly started with coonies as well. She saw that they were a little small and wanted to increase that size. Um, So she picked the three breeds that she thought would be the best to make a pig that would graze, would have good motherhood, would good disposition and that growth rate. So that's why she used um, Cooney Cooney's Old Berkshire and she used Old Berkshire, not just Berkshire because the Old Berkshire had the shorter nose and then she used wow. the Dura. And that's kind of what we were looking for, a pig that we could do for meat that was a little bit bigger, easy on pasture. And then we got those and we just loved them. So.
3: Their, their growth rate is just so much quicker and you're still getting that absolutely delicious pork. So you've still got the marbling, you've still got the sweet flavor. You're just getting a little bit more meat and you're getting it faster as compared to the coonies, where it, it takes longer to grow them out. And then at the end you don't have as big of a carcass when you butcher.
2: Yes. So I told her as soon as she had breed stock available, we wanted it and So what was that, 2012, 2011, um, when she finally had the breed as a breed, then she was going to start selling them. And so we had ours ordered and pretty much before they hit our farm, we had every piglet sold that we could ever produce. Wow.
3: (laughs) You know, again, it's ridiculously friendly. It's like the Cooney Coonies, like they're just Mm -hmm. such a personable pig. They're fun to be around. They're they're just a nice pig you can go in you can play with the piglets you can hang out with the mom if there's something goes wrong you can easily work with them so as a whole personality wise I mean it was everything you were looking for but on top of that the growth rate was a little bit quicker and you were getting a little bit bigger meat you know quantity of meat at the end so yeah it was we started with a couple and then went "Uh uh-oh we're gonna need more (laughs) and so the next batch we ordered we actually had a truck bring
2: a chin and we ordered a barrow on that order one that was going to be close to being ready to butcher so it got to our house we kept it for about a month and so we we butchered it so we could try the meat to make sure that it was as good as shelly told us it was and we were not disappointed we ate pork for Five days in a row. Like, that was what everybody wanted to
1: eat. (laughs) That's a big deal because, you know, we actually, you guys probably know, we got into Cooney Coonies before we did IPPs. And we had switched from the commercial breed of pig. We had the big pink pigs. And we had got into those pigs years ago because we wanted to have a little pork business. We wanted to sell some pork. And we were brand new to pigs. The farmer we found, those are the pigs he raised. And, uh, you know, he kind of mentored us in those. We switched to the Coonies totally different reason it was because my young one my well my middle son now um he wanted to have some pigs and he's right now he's only you know five years old so we couldn't have anything too big so we got the coonies not for meat but knowing we'll butcher a couple of them and we'll have we'll enjoy the meat and wow we were blown away by the flavor the quality you know those pork chops even though they're small they're tasty and we don't want to go back to the commercial <laughs> breed. We The Cooney pork is so, so good. Now, we have not yet had IPP pork. Um, so hearing from you guys, somebody who had I, uh, Cooney Coonies for years, that, yes, it, it's just as good. That's uh, that's music to my, I'd say ears, but maybe it's music to my belly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you did mention so, something. So
2: they're not quite as fatty as the Cooney.
1: Which isn't a bad thing, right? A lot of people do complain, unless you have a good purpose for that fat. You know, a lot of people say, oh, cooney coonies are too fat. I like the fat. I can never get enough fat. But but probably a lot of people don't mind that.
3: We started out small. Then we obviously, Shelly decided that they weren't going to have the Idaho pasture pigs. So we got her herd in. And we knew that this breed needed to continue to be a breed. So for a very long time, it felt like we honestly kept doubles and triples of all of the lines because if you didn't you were going to lose the capability of containing those you know there might be the possibility you're selling them but a lot of people most people are buying these pigs to raise their offspring for meat most people don't buy the pigs to be breeders they buy them because they want to raise good quality pork so for a very long time we kept doubles and triples of all of the lines then a few years ago, I said, "This is this is a lot. I mean, you're going through winter in Wisconsin with 500 pigs. That's wow. that's a lot of pigs in the winter in Wisconsin. You guys need so to come thought, back well, to do
1: a whole let's episode. Finally, get to the
3: point where we can pop it out.
1: a whole episode <laughs> on winter pigs because winter pigs are the worst. <laughs> and a Wisconsin yeah, winter that's pig. a lot of pig. That's next level. <laughs>
2: When, when you're out there in the middle of winter putting another line of fence up because the snow is too high. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Awful. <laughs> wow. You guys really had some serious dedication to these. Uh, this breed. They must be that good. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we did. We did. So now we're finally to the point where we can, you know, we obviously don't have to have quite as many. So I, honestly, we usually try to go through the winter with about 200 pigs, which is, I know it still sounds like a lot of pigs and it is, but it is a lot easier than five to 600 pigs. So Mm -hmm. at any given time, like this time of year, we probably have five to 500 out there right now, but I mean, we're having our fall piglets. So by default, People will start coming, they'll start getting their breeders. If they're not breeders, we sell lots of feeders or barrows. We don't, at our farm, we don't sell the non-breeding quality girls to anyone. We keep them here. Those are the ones we raise up. Those are the ones we sell as pork to other people. Because again, if it's a barrow, it's cut, it's not castrated. If it's really nice and you fall in love with it, I don't care if you keep it as a pet forever. But if it's a girl, And she could potentially have piglets, and then you fall in love with her, and you're like, but I'm going to keep her. She's not breeding quality. So we've learned that we should keep those here, and we, like I said, we butcher those so we make sure they get butchered.
1: Are you guys the largest IPP breeder out there? Or at one time, were you? Yes.
3: One time, yeah.
2: (laughs) I would say we still are.
3: I mean, it's... It's because now we do have a lot of other good quality breeders who are extremely concerned about maintaining the breed standards. Yeah. Where again, when we were just starting, there wasn't as many people that knew about them. Now we've got a really, really good backdrop of other breeders that are really concerned about producing breeding quality, really nice pigs, and it just makes things so much better all the way around. Yeah. And,
2: And when we started selling breeders, we were shipping them all over the country, and we were trying to create those diverse lines everywhere in the country. You know, so Jody was really particular on trying to send different lines to different parts of the country so that if someone from the North East bought pigs, she, the next people that bought pigs in Northeast, she was trying to set, send different lines so that it was, you know, so that they could start to trade amongst each other and not have to ship pigs across the country all the time. Uh,
1: we've been fortunate with this show a couple times to talk to people who were at the early stages of a certain breed. One of the ones we talked to was the guy who did the Kiko goats. Um, and I'm always amazed by... First off, some breeds are so old, You just that's a history lost, right? We have no idea where they came from. We have no idea why. Uh, but to be able to, to talk to people at the early stages of developing a breed... And then to see, uh, we've always been on a hobby level, except for now with our mini jerseys, we've gotten much more into breeding. Uh, but most of our levels are always hobby level, food level. Like you said, we breed for our, our table. We don't breed for you know, anything other than you know we want to have a bunch mm-hmm. of uh, pork in our freezer. Um, but to hear the decisions, uh, for us, it's, okay, that animal and that animal will produce food. Let's do it. Let's eat it. The decisions, the things you have to think about when you decide, or that at least you should be thinking about when you decide to breed, to maintain a line, to continue or improve on certain traits, uh, it's a whole nother level. So, one thing that I read uh, in your book, Jody, that you mentioned here, and I thought would be interesting as we start talking about breeding, we've talked a lot about IPPs on this channel, especially as we were starting to shop for them. We've talked about, you know, basic, you know, kind of some. What somebody would want to know if they're getting into it for the first time, but now you guys are running a much larger operation. You don't just have a couple pigs, you know, for your family. Uh, you mentioned how how personable they are, and I remember reading in your chat uh, the chapter about breeding how you talked about one of the things that you select for uh, when choosing breeding stock is personality. Uh, tell me what goes in when you guys are breeding your, you know, doing your breeding program. What are you looking for in a breeding pair other than a good personality? What do you look at when you look at a couple of pigs? Maybe the person watching or listening to this episode has already heard our 101 and they're starting to think about maybe doing their own breeding. What's something that you look for to say this pair is going to make a nice IPP?
3: I'll tell you what we do not choose for. We do not base anything on color, ever. Mm-hmm. I know that people always are picking based on color, but that is as far from the main concern as you can possibly get. I know they're fun to look at, but it is amazing how many times people are like, okay, I want this. And you're like, yeah, well, that pig is not even close to breeding quality. Not gonna happen. So like you said, we do pick based on certain things. And now we're to the point where we honestly don't let other people pick their pigs because we know what is going to go into making a good breeder. And we don't want our name out there with this pig that might turn into something that's not an Idaho pasture pig breeding quality pig. It's much easier when we get to pick the pair from here as compared to somebody else saying, okay, I've got a boar and I want a gilt to go with it. When we can match up the pair here, we're looking for body confirmation. Obviously you want it in those breed standards, but if you've got a boar with a little bit of a shorter back, then you match it up with a gilt that has a little bit of a longer back. You're matching it up and we always say, look at it like you're going to eat it. So you want the nice hams, you want the nice bacon. You know what I mean? You want everything on there to match up. On top of that, you've got to look at the head. The head, the snout, if we're gonna continue and keep this breed the way it is grazing ability-wise, it has to have the snout that upturns. Here's the thing, a lot of people get really concerned about a super short snout. We don't like the super short snouts and not because they don't graze okay, but we do tend to see more of the cooney cooney qualities when they contain that super short snout so it's more of a medium length snout but it does have to upturn you know if you've got a medium length snout but it's super straight you're not gaining anything by that putting that pig into the breeding quality you want that upturn so that it continues to be able to graze the way you want it to
1: this is something that so, yeah at a, at a hobby level uh, you know, a a homesteader level who's just going to have one pair in the beginning, they, they won't, the numbers aren't there, right? If they're going to find one pig here and one pig there, the numbers aren't there for them to do this kind of selecting. So the thing that comes to my mind is if you're going to do what we do, which is just a pair for yourselves and you sell a couple of the, the offspring just on Craigslist or, you know, whatever you, however you sell it. Um, how important it is to find a good quality breeder source that will do all this work for you. Now obviously you guys are, you can fit that bill and people will at the end will tell them how to contact you if, if they want to contact you guys for that. But what would you suggest someone in my shoes who can't do all this selecting? I don't have 200 picks to choose from. I just got to find a pair to work with. How do you find, a? what do you identify in a breeder or a source for pigs. How do you know this is a place that I should buy from?
2: I think that one of the important things is to have so that that breeder has enough pigs. So they're not selling those sub, they don't have the ones that you need. Um, So you want them to have at least a few litters. You know, the more litters they have, the better. And the longer you've been doing it, the longer you've looked at litters and you can identify those things quickly. Um, We're looking at our piglets at, at day one, at week one, at week four, you know, just trying to assess how they're doing, you know, what's looking good. Are they progressing the way they should? Are they not? So you can, you start to get a feel for how they should progress.
3: And, and the other thing is, and again, you know this from talking to Kirsten, talk to the people. The more you actually talk to somebody, and again, this isn't texting, because you don't get a real good feel for people from just texting. But when you're actually talking to the breeder and hearing what they have to say, you normally get a really good feel for what they're looking for, what they're doing, and if they know what they're. you want them to be doing, basically. So again, you know, you talk to Kirsten, you know how concerned she is about the breed. You know how much she puts into this and how much she cares. You would just know from talking to her that she's someone you would want to buy pigs from.
1: I remember, and I tell this story all the time, when I first got into pigs, and again, this was the big pink piggies, um, My, who I call my mentor in pigs, Tom Dexter, he was a guy from Connecticut, lived not too far from us. I called him, hey, I want to buy pigs. And he said, whoa, have you ever had pigs before? And I said, no, but I want to get like six of them to feed you know, my family and sell a little pork. And he was like, okay, that's a bad idea. <laughs> Why don't you start with two? <laughs> I won't sell you two till you come to my place and you tour it and you see how we do things and you make sure you're ready. And I always felt like knowing pigs and knowing the kind of trouble you can get into with pigs or they can get into if you let them If I had found a guy on Craigslist who was like, here, have six pigs, I wouldn't have pigs today, because I would have had problems, Mm -hmm. and it would have been a disaster, and I'd have been like, I hate those animals, I don't want them, like I feel about goats. (laughs) Um, And I ironically never had a goat mentor, so maybe that was my problem. But because I had someone who really (laughs) said, like, slow down, make sure you're going to do this right, uh, and, and made sure I was ready, and I started small and slow, and he gave me a good product to start with forever I now have pigs. I love having pigs now we've changed breeds for different reasons. I still like my big pink piggies for certain things If I were to start a pork business today I might go back to them maybe not if the IPP works out but uh, you know <laughs> the point is finding a good source who who cares who takes the time uh, and I love that bit about making sure they have the numbers because we know from our experience, we haven't bred a lot of things on this homestead, but we have done a lot of work with our mini jerseys over the years. And then just at the hobby level, we've had some goats bred. And we've, now we've had a couple of cooney litters. Um, numbers is so important for choosing something that you're going to continue. If you're just going to eat it all, then it's okay. But But if you're trying to choose the best animal and you only have a pair or two pairs to work from, one of the reasons our mini jerseys, we do a lot of AI is because we want to pull in that really good quality genetics that we couldn't have on our farm and that diversity we couldn't have on our farm so just some awesome advice there Uh, now you guys i know something that you really spend a lot of time with and focus a lot on and i think is one of the secrets to making ipps successful as pasture pigs is their nutrition Uh, you go into this a lot in your book jody um, when it comes to your, your breeding pair, this is not just a pair of pigs that you're going to fatten up and put on the table. You know, you could throw a bunch of corn and soy at a pig and not worry about stuff. And, you know, a couple months later, butcher it and you got some. Tell me. us, what do you do to take care of pigs' nutrition?
3: So I don't honestly know that there's anything more important for the pigs than their nutrition. You, you want, I mean, you want them to be healthy. You don't, you're not just raising this pig for six months so you can butcher it and eat it. You're raising this pig because you want a pig that's going to continue, that's going to grow out, and is going to have babies or piglets. But let's say you are just raising feeder pigs. Let's say you're going to just raise two pigs. You're going to raise them up for the 10, 9, 10 months till it takes to butcher. You still want a good pork at the end of it. You still want a pig that gets that grass-fed quality. You still want a pig that's got the nutrition in its system you know there are so many people that raise pigs just traditional pigs and this has been our i mean honestly that we've heard what does it matter if they have selenium it doesn't matter we're going to eat them anyway well okay except that if you have a pig that has weak and brittle bones is that really what kind of pig you want to be raising if you have a pig that has you know the meat quality is very i don't even know how i say it rubbery as can Compared to the, the meat that you're looking for because it's missing the minerals it needs is that again is that the kind of pork you want to be eating no not me um on that note we had i know a guy that
2: used to feed his pigs nothing but peanut butter because he had access to <laughs> peanut butter <laughs> wow and he said he would get to butcher time and they would break a leg or he could cut the ribs with a knife well peanut butter doesn't contain any calcium So these pigs were calcium deficient their whole life. Now he was feeding, he was raising normal pigs, you know, and so it was only a five month process or six month process. So it didn't really matter until that pig went down the day before it went to butcher. Um, On the other spectrum, we had called us up and he said, well, my pig won't get pregnant. And I said, is she overweight? And he's like, I don't think so. Well, I happened to be in Pennsylvania and that's where he was. So I stopped at his house and I looked at his pig and she was ginormous. Like she was, <laughs> she had fat rolls over her eyes. And I said, that's why she's not pregnant because she's obese. Well, here he was getting bread and he was feeding her, you know, 20 loaves of bread a day. So she never got pregnant because of nutrition and obesity. So a a fat pig is the hardest one to get bred.
1: So what's your guys' advice for someone to make sure, you know, make sure kind of... You you guys are are next level breeders and you you dive into this. What's a good kind of rule of thumb for someone at a a homestead level to follow to make sure that their pastured pigs are getting proper nutrition? Well,
3: I think the biggest thing is is when you're buying pigs from a breeder you either if you're going to pick them up i mean you're going to look at their property if their property is completely tore up because their pigs are doing nothing but rooting well they obviously aren't going to be able to tell you the nutrition that your pigs are supposed to get whereas if you go to your pick up your pigs and your pigs pastures are green ask them because unfortunately not all of the minerals are located all over the United States. So, you know, you've got people in Pennsylvania getting one kind of pig feed. You've got people, you know, in the Midwest getting a different. You've got people over on the West Coast who can get a different mineral. Well, they all work, but you talk to the people that you're getting them from. They're in your area. Find out what they're using. Find out where they're getting them from and find out what quantity they're feeding it at. Because again, and I'm going to go back to Kirsten and actually Ryan, who does a large amount of stuff over there also, they talk to their feed mill. They get it mixed properly. They use a certain kind of mineral, but like they said, they still have to add a little bit of selenium on top of that. So just saying, okay, I'm getting two bags of this and putting it into my, you know, one ton of pig feed doesn't work for that mineral. They actually still have to add a little bit of selenium on top of that, where I know that the minerals that we're using again, for the majority of the people, you can use that next-gen 2090 or that next-gen 2132. You can mix it at 100 pounds per ton, and it's going to get the pigs the minerals that they need. So now the good news is you can actually buy the minerals on Amazon. They're kind of expensive, but you can at least get them if there's you're not able to get them out anywhere else.
1: I was so excited to talk about fodder with you guys today because, for one, it's I've never met someone who primarily does fodder. So tell me the amounts, what you're feeding, and how do you do it?
3: So, grain-wise, from the time the pigs are about three months and up, they're getting one pound of feed in the morning, and then we feed the fodder in the afternoon to those pigs. In the summertime, you know, it's warmer, the grass is growing, it's not as cold. Now, we're again in northern Wisconsin. So, when you hit December, January, February, it is really, really cold. And you can have, you know, weeks on end where it's 20 below zero. We absolutely increase our feed for those months. And again, Northern Wisconsin, it's winter. Sometimes you'll be have people down in Texas. Well, in the middle of summer, they don't have a drop of grass because it's burnt off and it's gone. So their increase of feed should be in the summer months when again, they don't have that green grass. Like I said, we do in the winter, we're doing two pounds of feed in the morning and we still do that fodder in the afternoon. So feed wise, that's what we're
2: doing. And then they also have um, hay. Whether we put a round bale in there, or if we feed them um, individual leaves of alfalfa every day, you know, that's all dependent on the pigs and what our hay, the hay that we have at the time,
3: and the temperature, and temperature. <laughs> Go ahead. You want to tell them fodder?
2: Um, so for fodder, we're feeding about four pounds of fodder per pig per day,
1: even um, in the summer.
2: In the summer, yes. Yeah that that number pretty much stays consistent on the fodder because that's what we grow. Um, so we grow pretty much to capacity and then just feed that. And you know the feeder pens, if we have extra, the feeder pens get that. You know they can put a little bit extra on.
3: It's still a grass, so it's not like you're giving them extra grain. The other thing is we use barley. But we have found that if we put field peas in, so we every day we do 50 pounds of barley seed and I do, in the summer we do, well, in the summer I do four pounds of peas because it makes it tastier. In the winter we usually use two pounds of peas and the just adding that field pea into there decreases that, that bitterness of the barley. And it is amazing how well those pigs eat that, that fodder. Wow. I mean, they're sitting there as soon as you throw it into them, they are scarfing it down and fighting over it. And you'll have pigs that'll grab a sec. And I don't know if you've seen our videos, but they'll grab a hunk of it and run away and go wow. to a different part of the pasture so they can eat it by themselves.
1: <laughs> so cool. Uh, you dropped out audio wise at the very beginning. Tell us again, how much barley.
3: So we, every day we do 50 pounds of barley Mixed with the field dude, usually two to four pounds of peas.
1: And that uh, feeds how many pigs?
3: Typically about 200. But again, varying ages. So you're yeah. talking three months up through butcher, well, through our adults that we you know, have with us.
1: And tell me a little bit, boy, this would be something, um, j- because of the scale, the size you guys are, what does your fodder system look like?
2: so right now we're using a fodder pro 3.0 um it's set up in our garage we have a heated garage insulated um so it produces i think it does like 1100 pounds a day
1: i've (laughs) never heard of the fodder pro i'm totally googling this right now it's it's, (laughs) it's from
2: farm tech we i actually bought it for jody as an anniversary present one year
1: I love farm couples. We do did. this is all we do, right?
2: <laughs> you know, when we were we were looking to upgrade to an enclosed trailer system, um, you know, that's put in a reefer truck and is a self-contained system, so that maybe we could have our garage back someday. <laughs>
1: wow look at that thing that's amazing so this thing is a big for those who are listening on the podcast kind of explain the you know the size and what it looks like here what you're working with
2: so it's it's probably about 30 feet long um the trays are about five feet deep and then they're about 18 inches wide so we basically soak seeds one night dump them and then spread them on the trays And in five to six days, we're harvesting and feeding.
1: I hear people ask a lot, you know, uh, will fodder save me money? Does it save any money or is it basically just a tool for nutrition and, you know, good pasture? Is there any savings there on cost?
2: So, well, we don't use it for cost. We use it for quality. But there's definitely a savings there. It's... I don't remember my numbers right now, but they're in the book, though. Yeah, they're in the book, <laughs> I think, of some calculations Link we did. Link um, So it's, cost, it's costing <laughs> me $15 a feeding um, when we feed fodder. And right now with grain, range that's a whole higher.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You
2: know, our feed's up to 21 cents a 21 and a half cents a pound where it used to be 13.
1: Do you uh, import uh, the barley, you know, do you buy barley in bulk? How does that work? How do you source your barley and then your peas too? So
2: we have a seed company that's pretty close. It's 45 minutes away. So once a month we go there and get a pallet. So a ton, and then that lasts us 40 days.
3: They are awesome, though. We've been working with them for, honestly, seven, six years now. And so every year they figure out how much we're going to need. They bag it up, set it there in pallets so it's ready and waiting for us when we come.
2: And we, awesome. we do use a certain That's seed. Awesome. So yes. we don't just use any barley seed. We have the ones we like that perform best. And so they'll bring a choice of that in from Canada just for us every year.
1: Wow. Man, when you find a good feed source, a feed mill, we had yes. back in Connecticut, we had all our contacts and we are still, I mean, maybe you guys got a tip for me being in Pennsylvania. We're still looking for, having been in Pennsylvania, we're still looking for a good, like a feed mill, a good feed source. That's a tough thing. And when you find it, they're worth their weight in, in grain. They are <laughs> worth their weight
3: in gold. They absolutely are.
1: You mentioned looking to, at their pastures to see whether or not they're doing a good job with their minerals. Maybe we could take a look at your guys' pigs and your guys' pastures and uh, get an idea of what we're actually looking for here. Would that
3: be all right? That'd be awesome. So this is her first litter. And, you know, obviously she had a nice big litter for her first litter. They're doing absolutely fantastic.
1: In the extended version of this interview, Dave and Jody actually give us a tour of their pastures, show us what to look for to see whether or not our animals are getting the nutrition they need, they also go more in depth on breeding, feeding, everything you're going to want to know if you're planning on raising pastured pigs. Click the link that just popped up or check the bio. Become a Homesteady Pioneer. You'll gain instant access to all our extended versions of all our episodes. We, uh, you guys have such a wealth of information here, so many years of experience we could have a day long episode here, (laughs) but it's Saturday (laughs) on the farm. You got stuff to do. Uh, if somebody wants to dive into that years of experience, where can they learn more? Where can they find you? And tell us about your book too, Jody.
3: So you can find us at whitebisonfarm.com. Um, we do have a website said, um, we are on Facebook. You can definitely find us there, but a lot of our information, I really like websites just because, there's a lot, it's a lot easier to find the information and to read it. So I would say go to our website. You can feel free to call us at any time. Our phone number is on our website. Yes, you can absolutely purchase the book, Raising Pigs on Green Pasture. Again, that book comes from years and years of raising pigs and hearing the same questions and honestly learning from our mistakes. So we wrote it while I wrote it with his help so that we could hopefully prevent other people from doing our mistakes so they could learn from what we have done it's not because we know everything because i feel like we learn something new every day but it's so that you can learn from our you know what we're doing what we've done what does work what doesn't work and make it into your farm
1: yeah you guys uh i can't say enough good things it's it's a book In this world of homesteading, you find books that are just, um, they're like a little gold brick. Not a huge, (laughs) not a dictionary, but in that that right there section is so much information, so much experience. And the best thing is it's based on years and years of experience boiled down, right? It's the maple syrup. It's years of experience, years of lessons boiled down into something you can actually go through. You know, if you're going to get pigs, it won't take you long to get through it. And you'll have that years of experience added to you uh, so you make less mistakes. You'll still make mistakes. We all do it all the time. Um, But it will help you get a better start. So we'll have a link below if you're watching the video or if you're listening to the podcast. We'll have a link in the write-up to Jody's book. We'll have a link to your guys' website. And we will plan to have you back for Masterclass on Winter Pigs. Because I want to know all the secrets.